right, hello, and welcome to Talking Tales. This is your host, Paul Barnett, and I am here with Denise Cummings uh, of Denise's Delightful Dookers Ferret Sanctuary in Auburn, Washington. And we're just going to have a casual conversation today about uh, ferrets, her experience uh, running the sanctuary, uh, and uh, some stories about some of our uh, current and past ferrets. Uh, so, Denise, thank you for, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so... First question that comes to my mind is why ferrets? Um, you know, how did you come to to fall in love with ferrets and and decide to uh, uh, adopt them? And uh, ultimately, what what led to a, a sanctuary? Back in 1987 or so, my friends had had ferrets. I'd never seen them before. I'd never been around them. Boy, were they having fun in their house. I've never seen animals jump so high or get into the couch and play. And then we move upward to 2002, and my son is living across from a uh, people's apartment, and they put the fer uh, a ferret out in the cage in 34-degree weather. Um, not good. No. And he said, Mom, come get it come get it. He wouldn't tell me what it was. So I went over there and I'm not going to leave an animal in that, in that weather. It was cold. Uh, and went over and saw what it was. I just fell in love. She was a dark eyed white, <laughs> big enough to be a boy. Oh, she wow. was a good side ferret and um, brought her home. And what I didn't know was that she had a form of abuse. She'd been gone through it, little three-year-old banging on the cage, and they just didn't play with her as much. And so she would bite me, and every time she bit me, it was to the bone. Ugh. You could hear it crunch. Um, but <clears throat> I had um, a gentleman who helped start Washington Ferret come over and introduce me to things about ferrets and he said now he says i want you to understand don't get involved with these guys unless you are going to keep going because once you start and once you begin the shelter he says <laughs> it's very hard <laughs> to stop <laughs> so um i had no plans of starting at that point a shelter i just thought she was beautiful, and I loved her. And seven weeks later, she played with me. No mm -hmm. biting. She just played with me. Mm -hmm. It was so neat. I just <laughs> loved it. Um, and But he was right. Don't start it unless you're going to stop it. <laughs> you know, don't start it. Um, if you think you can stop it, it's not going to work. Yep. Because they grow on you. I fell in love. They, they steal your heart. They, mm -hmm. She did. She really did. I called her my loving challenge because I didn't, again, I was still new to this. So to have one that had been through some form of abuse and yet I'm one that wants to hands on, love on them, play with them. You got to learn how to do it, how to take your time, how to give them, um, time to get used to you so you don't have so much uh they, they aren't scared right they don't have so much fear yep. 
And I just, I fell in love and that was it. Um, and then I started working at a pet shop and people started bringing in ferrets that had been terribly abused. I had one that had, she was loaded with fleas and she had, um, her tail, they'd taken a lighter and burned her tail. And the gal that owned the place, she says, I can't sell her. So I need you to take her home and make her feel better. Mm-hmm. What did I know? I'm still learning. And, but I took her home and that was the beginning of um, learning, slightly learning the medical. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with her. I just fell in love with her. And um, she had uh, a lady that would come in and she was a breeder. And she lives just about, she lived uh, about six blocks from my place. And she came in with a big boy um, (laughs) and a medium-sized girl. And they, she let him out of the cage and the girl looked at me like I was, forget you, you know, I just, you're not, I'm not interested in you. The boy, he came out, he came running toward me and I wasn't sure if I was going to get eaten <laughs> or if I was going to, you know, he was going to let me love him. Right. And he literally jumped in my arms. Oh, wow. I was on the floor and he jumped in my arms and I grabbed him and loved him and he kissed me and he just sat there and looked around and Carol goes, well, I guess we know who he likes. <laughs> and um, that started, it It just like a snowball. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I fell in love. I did. And because of working at a store, I got introduced more and more to different ones and learning who they were and mm-hmm. what they've been through. Um and sometimes they would come to my place and um, get better, I guess you could call it. And then I would try to take them back. And people, it's interesting. I learned real quick. People don't want used goods. That's how they see ferrets uh. who have gone through abuse. Um, and I had no, I didn't like them. I, I with humans i didn't like it because that was wrong yep. these guys are so sweet and the ones that yeah. have gone through abuse and come out of it are so precious and so neat yeah um i, I mean I, I totally agree with you i i hate to hear about ferrets or any animals being abused um but they are just as wonderful as any other ferret yep. And they so appreciate affection. They can be so affectionate. Um, you know, I should say, you know, here while I'm visiting Denise, uh, I have, uh, I brought Skeeter with me, uh, <laughs> who, for those of you who might follow Saving Skeeter on Facebook, um, he is a uh, handsome little ferret who was severely abused. Um, and he, like the ferret you mentioned a minute ago, uh, something happened to his tail uh, where it was either stepped on or caught in something um, or we're not sure what, but he had the last maybe inch or so of his tail amputated because it it died. Um, But that was sort of the least of his physical uh, abuse. Uh, He had had um, cigarette burns on his back. Uh, He had a broken leg that wasn't treated. Um, Something happened to his ear. We believe he was thrown against the window 
Um, and thankfully, you know, the worst that came out of it was that he lost about an inch of his tail and he has a scar on his leg. The doctor is able to save his leg, but he is just the sweetest little man. He is so loving. He is so playful. He is, you know, as best as we can tell, let go of all that, you know, negative past. And he's got lots of brothers and sisters now, and he looks forward to playtime every day. And he loves to snuggle, loves to be held. You know, he, he'll give you kisses. Um, and every day is an adventure for him. So he's just, he's amazing. Uh, and, and it breaks my heart to think that, you know, there are people that wouldn't want someone like him because, simply because somebody else was cruel to him. That, that does, to me, it doesn't make any sense because they're, they're being cruel to them, you know, um, and you don't want them anymore. Yeah. Or other people don't want, they hear about it. I, when I would adopt out, I would tell them what they've been through. And some people actually backed out of it, away from it, because they didn't trust them. And I thought, why don't you trust them? I do. And I'm the one here all the time playing with them and right. I'm here feeding them and I'm doing things with them. Yep. Why? I, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, 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 in those cases, I just sort of think that it's, it's the human's loss because the ferret, the, the human would be lucky for the ferret to accept them and, and sort of adopt them. Like I, yes, I technically adopt ferrets, but I feel like I'm, adopted by them like they're yes. you know, in, in some ways they're rescuing me <laughs> um and it's a privilege to 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 take care of them and to enjoy their their antics uh you know they're they're always if they're not sleeping they're on the go <laughs> and yep. uh it's it's just you know they they um they make me laugh they make me, make me smile um of course you know when they when they have to leave, they, they break my heart, but I sort of feel like they're, I think the thing I've said to some other people, you know, a few times is they're going to live and die whether I'm there or not. And why not be a part of their lives? Why not give them a good home? Because I can, and because they're so wonderful, like let me enjoy them uh, and give them some enjoyment. Um, and yeah, that, you know, yes, they don't have the longest, uh, lifespan um yeah i wish <laughs> i wish they could live forever um yep. but uh yeah, i think in my experience uh maybe starting around age five they seem to start to decline um and the majority of mine i've lost um around age seven uh, i have one now um milo one of my milos i have two milos right now uh, sable milo and silver milo uh, who i just adopted from you a couple weeks ago and sable milo is going to turn nine uh in about a week um, if he, if he makes it, uh, and I hope he does, he's, he's doing reasonably well given his age and condition, but, um, um, but usually around age seven in my experience, what's, what's, what's your experience been in terms of, uh, their lifespan? I've, most of them, it's, it really is. It's between five and eight that I've lost. I have had one till he was 10 and a half oh, and wow. Dr. Um, Delaney and Dr. Carter both they just couldn't believe because you couldn't look i guess they by checking their teeth and some of the other things um they came he came in at age nine 
and I had him for a year and he'd been into the vets and they were just amazed. He didn't have, at this point, wasn't showing signs of adrenal, no lymphoma, no insulinoma. Wow. He had cataracts. Um, he had some, I, I will call it blindness. It's a form of blindness. They can see um, outlines, mm-hmm. but they really can't see a lot. But he lived until he was 10 and a half. Wow. And that was so neat because he was a hugger. I got to <laughs> hug a lot. Um, but I, most of them, I just put, had, uh, most of them have been in that range. I have put down, um, had to have put down recently uh, two eight-year-olds mm. that were doing great. And the one had, I did, wasn't aware and they weren't aware, had lymphoma. Oh, and she, her belly was getting large and I knew there was a problem, but I knew she quit the soup and I'm going, no, cause she's a little piggy in the soup. So something's going on. Yeah. The other one, oh, that was, um, Nellie was having trouble walking and stuff. She was act like she was really tired. But she would keep walking and then find a good place to lay down in. Mm-hmm. And she had so much. She had a lot of fun. Um, she liked her place. Um, once in a while, she'd let somebody in with her. <laughs> but otherwise, no. Oh. She, that was her place <laughs> to sleep. Um, but she, was, she went downhill with, within four days. Oh. And it, yeah. it's, it's hard. Uh, um, they're my babies. So I totally understand. Uh, lymphoma is horrible. I've had um, two with lymphoma. Um, gosh, back in 2017, um, early 2017, I guess it was late 2016. Uh, my ferret uh, Peter, a handsome little guy, my only boy at the time. Um, he had uh, something was off with his left eye. It looked like maybe it had been injured, but he didn't injure it certainly not in my presence and there wasn't anything he could have injured it on um and uh, a little bit of th- third eyelid was show- showing and the eye was red and i took him in uh to the doctor and uh put him on some uh, medications and uh eye drops and antibiotics and those seemed to help a little bit but then it stopped helping and um we tried a few more things and um finally took him in for a ct scan uh, because we couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And um, he ended up uh, passing away. His heart stopped during the scan uh, when he was under, and the doctors tried to revive him, but they couldn't. And uh, they came out and told me that um, what they found, though, in the scan was that uh, he had multiple tumors, he had lymphoma, and it was fairly advanced, uh, and um, it would have been a matter of weeks before we would have had to let him go anyway. Um, and uh, so. In a way, I guess you could say it was a blessing, uh, but it was still heartbreaking because he had been doing so well. In fact, that day when I brought him in for the scan, he was running around exploring the exam room. Uh, you know, he, he, other than just having a little something off with his eye, he wasn't showing any other symptoms. He was eating well and whatnot and playing, uh, but then he was just gone. Uh, and then uh, just uh, beginning of this year, I lost uh, Kyra, who I talked about in a previous episode. To, uh, not to lymphoma though. She she was my little miracle. Um, she uh, was showing signs of lymphoma back in early 2020, and um, we tried everything. 
you know, if you want to hear the full details, we can listen to the previous episode. Um, but uh, we tried everything. Nothing worked. Uh, she was getting fairly large tumors. We thought we were going to let her, let her go. But uh, we tried this sort of Hail Mary with this uh, immunotherapy vaccine that hadn't been used in ferrets before for lymphoma. And um, it worked. It worked big time. And she, all of her tumors disappeared and her eyes returned to normal. And she she lived two more years happy and healthy and active and playing until heart disease took her. Um, and I really wish, I am so glad that, that, that the immunotherapy worked for Kyra. Um, I, it hadn't been developed in, uh, until 2017. I wish we had known about it back then because I would have loved to have treated Peter with it, but it just simply you know, wasn't available back then. Um, but, um, uh, and I, and one of the things with that treatment is that it requires a tumor sample to make a vaccine and not all lymphoma results in, uh, tumors or, and certainly not ones that are large enough to, to, uh, be used to make the vaccine and certainly, and not even some of them, you know, cannot be safely extracted. Like you need to be able to, the parent needs to be healthy enough to, for you to be able to, to do a minor procedure to remove a tumor. In Kyra's case, we were lucky that one of the tumors on her leg was in a, you know, she was otherwise, you know, healthy. She didn't care. She was sick. She was active. She was playing. Um, and, uh, we were able to, to put her under and take the tumor out of her leg safely without affecting her leg. She lost no, no mobility. Um, but, um, you know, that treatment is not, it's not guaranteed to be successful for everyone and not, and not available to everyone. Um, one due, you know, possibly, you know, due to the cost, but also again, you know, health conditions like the ferret is not, if the ferret can't be, is is not in a condition to have surgery, you can't really do anything. Um, so, um, it can be, uh, it it can take them very quickly, uh, and it can be just horrible to watch them decline. I had a gentleman bring in, uh, he had five ferrets and his wife passed away and he wasn't able to emotionally take care of them. So he brought them in and the one, he put them in a nice size carrier and started to show me and he goes, oh, wait a minute, I have to get this for you and went out and got something and brought it in and and I was starting to bring them out and looked in one of them I was bulging out uh, about an inch inch and a half that's that's quite a ways yeah and I just saw the one side and he started talking to me and he says yeah I know I just wasn't able to take him in and he left turned him just turned the head a little bit the other one was just starting and immediately went in the next day um, to Dr. Uh, Carter and he had a, he had a tumor. It was already in his brain. It was already, it had already done that. But my, why not put them down? Why you're going through a lot. Well, what's he going through? Because um, there has to be pain in that. Yeah. Um, but we had him put down right away because there's no way he was going to. There was not enough medicine to deal with the pain and with the eyes bulging as far as they were. It's not fair. In dealing with the ones that have come in that are not um, doing well and. Uh, you can tell 
they probably will have to go over the Rainbow Bridge. I have actually had three different groups at different times, two. Each were two, believe it or not. Um, one came in that had been around a lot of heroin. Ooh. One around marijuana. And how I know is because they told me. I don't know Oy. why they would admit to me and not to anybody. I don't know. But then we got two more in. And you could see from her, her teeth were really bad. Um, she wasn't forming words correctly. Uh, she wasn't, she had trouble talking. Let's just put it that way. She brought them in. And the one girl was a dark-eyed white, beautiful. But boy, she had a huge belly. Scared me to death. I knew something was up. Showed me the, the sable. And he was more... Uh, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what that meant at this, at that point. Then she started telling me how they were keeping them in uh, a house. Uh, and then they decided, oh, we're going to put them in a, a barn. They were making meth oh. in the barn. These guys were higher than kites. And the reason... I thought she should, the little girl should be, well, big girl, should be in pain. The reason she wasn't was because she was high. Oh, yeah. And so was the boy. And I decided we're taking her in tomorrow. And uh, she was, she was gone. She, he, they were started, Dr. Carter decided to open her up and see maybe if there is something we could take a look at mm -hmm. it was the size of a medium-sized potato oh. it was a tumor and she said she wouldn't have felt it because she has so much drugs in her well the boy was still at my place and he was okay he i uh, gave him soup i make uh, my own soup uh, for the babies and he was eating it like he hadn't eaten in a long time, which Maybe I wouldn't doubt. Yeah. <laughs> but he had, I had water out for him and he, he just wasn't there. And so I called a friend who had been on drugs for years, came off of drugs, doing wonderfully. And I said, okay, I've got one that was around meth, hired a kite, and they had to put down the, his, his cage mate. He is just not there. I said, what can I do to, to help? Because I don't have meth. I don't have something to bring him down off of this. Mm -hmm. And he said that you just need to keep him hydrated and lots of protein. Now, doesn't that sound like what ferrets get anyway? <laughs> so yes. um, I had kibble for him, but he preferred the soup. He, I could go, he would go through four uh, bowls. Wow. Uh, little, little bowls in a day. And I decided to go to a bigger bowl so that he had, he could come get it anytime he wanted. He didn't have to depend on me to come. Oh, he really looks like he needs it, you know, and come and give it to him. So just give him a good sized bowl. He lived, um, for about four months after that, but 
they don't, they think, they don't doubt that um, the drugs had a lot to do with it. Sure. Um, his, his kidneys and his liver failed. Um, he had really bad teeth, too. Really bad teeth. And I thought, I thought that was only in humans. But <laughs> I guess if you're around it enough, it's destructive. Uh, my my heroin babies, um, they just came down off of it. I did soup with them, and they they did fine. They lived for about a year, year and a half, and then the ones that were on marijuana, the one boy again was um, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Mm-hmm. He didn't close his eyes. I swear, he didn't close his eyes for a few days. Oh my! And I thought. This is shouldn't be happening. No, no. not at all. Um, but they ate and they drank water. Uh, they did come out of it, and they were alive for two, three years afterward. Wow. But that people don't realize how much soup really makes a difference. Well, and, and not just any soup. Uh, I've got to say, uh, so you seem to have this magical soup that. Uh, <laughs> is sought after by veterinarians. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I you know, say thank you. You, you shared uh, a portion of it with me uh, a couple weeks ago when I adopted uh, uh, Milo and Charlie and Spunky. And not only do they love it, but I've shared it with uh, some of my other fairs. And it, it's just, it seems to be magical. Uh, without, you know, divulging any secrets, no. what do you do? <laughs> what, what's, what, what is your soup? Uh, that, what, what's in your soup that makes it so uh, amazing? Dr. Carter said that what she said about my soup was that there's nothing in it that the ferrets can't have. Okay. And I thought, okay, what does that mean? You know, (laughs) but I gave her my recipe and it's just kibble. Um, I boil water. I pour it over the kibble. Um, I have chicken already deboned and put it in there. Um, I use ferret, ferret, Vite, okay. Um, olive oil and uh, uh, salmon oil. Ah. Now you don't use a lot of it. You just you sure. use it, right? Yep. And and you take the hot water and boil it, boil, it, and then you pour it over it, and you let it get soft, and then I run it through a food processor, and then I freeze it. And I don't understand it either because dr carter (laughs) has said whatever you're doing keep it up because i've got ferrets that should have been gone um i worked with um washington ferret when they had some babies that were in really bad shape and she says they're they're not going to make it for a couple for two weeks or so okay kept diving the soup I only lost one within uh, about three weeks after, but he had a heart condition, and he it the heart quit. Um, mm. The other ones that she had told me were going to pass in a couple of weeks lived for two and a half years, wow. and I, <laughs> I was she she kept saying, "Oh, they're they're dead, right, Denise? They're gone, right?" And I go, "No, they're." in there talking to Dr. Carter and she she just would just she just couldn't believe it and shook her head and was laughing you know it's just no 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 they're supposed to be gone because they weren't doing that well here you know 
I have no idea. Um, I know a lot of it, too, was the volunteers I had at the time. Phenomenal. I mean, you knew they loved them. They knew they were loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but the soup has something, there's something to do with protein and... and the right combination of ingredients and the, yeah, right, and the right proportions? I, I guess. It, yeah. it just works. And believe it or not, I, I got it from Terry Cunningham. Okay. She was one of my um, uh, mentors. And uh-huh. she started me on that. Well, then I took it and did it up a little bit so that it, you know, it, it fit what they liked. Right. And I don't put I don't put anything in it other than that. Um, I should also mention uh, Terry is uh, the woman who uh, introduced me to Skeeter. Uh, yes. She she uh, nursed him back to health um, and made sure he you know was under constant supervision while he was recovering and got all the medications he needed and you know got some supervised playtime and uh, it's safe playtime because he had. For many weeks, he had a cast on his leg that he kept working out uh, off of his leg because he didn't want to have it. And so she kept having to uh, take him in to get it rewrapped. Uh, and um, she took phenomenal care of him, uh, got him back to uh, you know excellent shape. And uh, I think you know the the day that uh, he was that he came home to me was uh, uh, shortly after uh, he got his his cast off, uh, and you know, he he needed a little bit of. Uh, Water therapy just to, to exercise his leg to help uh, build build muscle there, but um, uh, yeah, she you know did an amazing job just getting him the care that he needed. Uh, she she's an amazing lady. Um, I cannot appreciate her more. Um, she you can tell that lady just loved the, them to pieces. Um, I started loving and understanding more the ones that had health issues or, you know, that were having problems, medical issues, if you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And because of her, my interest spiked. And it... I, 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 I want to say since we've been talking about, about medical issues, um, you know, of course, I think we all hate to see, you know, any ferret or any animal, you know, in any kind of distress, any kind of um, ill health. Um, I will say, you know, one of the bright lights and all that for me has been um, when you have to give them their medications, when you have to give them extra soup, it's, it's, for me, it's extra bonding time. I mean, you you get to spend time with your ferrets anyway, you know, when they're they're out playing, uh, even when they're sleeping, you know, they wake up and they want a little attention. Um, And you don't want to see them sick, but when they are sick, you sort of get that a little extra one-on-one time with them. And they, I've had some where they just, you know, love to lay in my arms uh, or, just want to be held for a minute. And, you know, they kind of look at you with these eyes that are sort of like, I trust you, um, you know, and thank you. And uh, they also show you um, if you're watching, there's more going on than you think there is. Because when I'm doing the soup and when I'm, like you said, it's one-on-one and I love doing it because I, I see more I'm more aware of what's going on medically, mm-hmm. what their health is, if it's going downhill or if they're starting to do a little better. Right. Um, by taking that time. Um, yeah, you can see those smaller changes that you you know, can. the casual observer might miss. Yes. Um, it can be anything from just the way they stand or the way they move to the look in their eyes or how they chew their food or 
any, you know, it's small things, again, that the casual observer might miss. Um, but you see them and it can be a sign of, you know, pain or, you know, you know, maybe they need adjustments from their medications or maybe they're saying, you know, sometimes they're saying, I'm done. Like, right. You know, it's time. Uh, those are some of the hardest ones. I know I've had, you know, several cases. I'm sure you've had, you know, a lot of these um, where, you know, they, they reach a point uh, where maybe you need to, to help them when they're, when they eat, you know, I've, I've syringe fed some uh, soup. And when they get to the point where they just, they clench their, their mouth closed and they refuse even a small amount of soup. And it's sort of, that usually coincides in my experience with, you know, what I'd say the, the light disappears from their eyes. It's sort of, they get this dull withdrawn look in the, their eyes and, and it's sort of a, it, to me, it's them saying, I'm done, please you know, help me out of this, this failing body. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a mix of those who have left on their own terms, uh, you know, of, um, where I know them in some cases, I know they're declining. Um, and I check in on them a little more frequently than others. And, uh, I had one, you know, a little over a month ago, uh, Willow who she had lost some weight. Uh, I, I tracked their weight, um, every week or every other week. And, um, she was at her lowest weight. Uh, and so I, I was giving her extra soup. And other than that, though, she was acting normally. She was playing normally. Um, and, um, I made an appointment, uh, with the doctor, uh, because I was concerned that she wasn't putting the weight back on. And, uh, I put her back in her cage, uh, after, after soup. And, uh, I checked back in her, on her 45 minutes later and she was gone. And, um, Turns out uh, that uh, in her case, uh, it was a previously undetected tumor on her liver that had ruptured, and there was nothing we could have done. Um, But it's heartbreaking. Um, I guess the the good news, if any, in that is that she didn't feel any pain. She didn't suffer. Um, But it's it's just as hard when you see them decline, um, and there's nothing you can do other than support them uh, until, until they give you that look, until they say, you know, please... You know, it's time. Um, they, that's the hard, to me, the hard part. I can deal with the ones that I'm giving medicine to, and I watch them either decline or do a little better um, because I can grieve with them. And, and I don't, it's not something like Remington. I walk in my door. The back door, I look, he's having breathing problems. I'm going, oh, no, open it up, pick him up. His heart, I could feel his heart. And I was, and I, he didn't want me to hold him. He was very uncomfortable. So I put him back in and Milo, silver Milo that you had, Mm -hmm. came down and stayed by him. And I closed and I went in to get um, the stuff ready that Dr. Johnson Delaney taught me how to do in case they're going through uh, a heart attack and you can do, there are some things you can do. Doesn't always pan out, Um, but you have the availability of helping. I got in the kitchen, just started and I went, there's something's not right. And so I walked back in there. He was gone. He was gone. Yeah. And I said, this is not fair. This is not fair because I, he was my boy and 
I like to watch what they go through and how I can help them. I couldn't help him. The, 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 uh, I think I, I agree that the, the cases where, you know, you want to help them, they, they show you that they want to live, but there's nothing you can do, or it's just the, no. some of the hardest ones. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, on a previous episode, uh, I talked about, um, uh, my ferrets, Ace and Dodger, and I'm not going to go through their whole story again uh, right now, but, um, Ace was one of those, um, you know, in the fair community, you, you call them heart ferrets. Um, he was, he was a stray. He was happy on his own, but he was also just as happy when he became part of my family and had you know, all sorts of friends and siblings. And, um, he wanted to live. He was, he didn't care. You know, he, he ultimately, you know, he had uh, bone cancer. Uh, he had to have part of his jaw removed. He didn't care. He figured out how to eat his, his solid kibble with half a jaw. Um, you know, uh, he, uh, his best friend Dodger died from uh, liver failure, uh, after beating dim disseminated idiopathic myositis, uh, which was heartbreaking to me. That was one of those cases where there was nothing I could do. I didn't know nothing was showing up on his, his scans. He was fine. I came home one day and he was gone. And that was just after Ace had a surgery. And, um, it got to the point where you know Ace had a Ace was starting to have trouble walking, and it turned out that he had a tumor on his spine that was inoperable. And at at this point, Ace was about eight years old, and the doctor just sort of told me, you know, take him home, love him, keep him comfortable until he, you know, lets you know that he's he's done. And that ended up being uh, not quite three months later, I believe. Um, and even on you know his last day, you know he couldn't walk. His back legs didn't work at all. He was dragging himself around with his front legs. He wanted to explore. He wanted to play, but he couldn't. And so the the kindest thing that I could do was let him go. But that was the I, hardest thing to do because he wanted to live. It's called a gift, and I heard I saw that on Facebook. Somebody says the best gift you can give them is to let them go. And, you know, that is such a precious way of looking at it. It's hard as I'll get out, and I lose it when I talk about Tucker Joe, so I don't talk about Tucker Joe too often. But um, so that gift, it is a gift. They aren't in pain anymore. They aren't hurting. They aren't suffering. Um, Eventually, even some of this, like you talking about, you know, his um liver and that they it, liver doesn't really have a lot of feeling and but around it does that's his body you know and it it's going to hurt eventually something will hurt yeah and so it's a gift um i one of the things you had talked to me you asked me about was what are some of the challenges that's one of them um, it's knowing when to allow them that gift, um, and when, when should we try other things to help? The other thing there in talking about the challenges of having a shelter, um, is not just their medical issues, although that that's huge, um, but it's also having them come in in bad shape and 
learning to be very polite and very nice mm. to the humans Human. who yeah. I'm going to send out the door as soon as I can. Um, yeah, he, because some of them, it, it's just like getting rid of a sack of garbage. Yeah. I've had actually had people in their way of bringing them in and just discarding them. And I get them to sign the paperwork and I say, you've done your part now. And I open the door and I, I want to shove them out, but I don't, um, but they walk out. They mm -hmm. oh, we're done. Okay. They're glad to be out of here. Yeah. Um, it, that, that to me is, it was kind of aggravating. I had to work with some of my volunteers because, um, the one lady came in, was her boyfriend's ferret, dumped, discarded the ferret, walked into my living room with her daughter, who was about five years old, and she turned to her mom and said, and I'm standing right there, and one of my volunteers walks in, the wrong one to walk in, and you'll know why in a minute. She looked at her mom and she goes, can we go get that kitty now that you said we could oh. have? And the one volunteer started to say something, and I turned to her and told her, I said, you know, no, no. It just I quietly, no. And she walked back into this room that we're talking in and closed the door. <laughs> and when I came in afterward, I swear there was the, the air was blue in here. She was so mad, yeah. so mad. But that was the one that really uh, got to some of my volunteers, dump and grab, you know, get something else. Yeah, those, those cases, I mean, I, I, I hate to hear about those. Um, you know, I think is the humans don't deserve the ferrets or any animals. In or case. any animal. Yeah. I'm in agreement there. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you take the time to, get to know a ferret and you know, to be honest, like, I think, you know, we know this because we, we live it, but, um, they are, they are work. Um, you know, they're, you have to keep litter boxes clean. You have to keep cages clean. You do laundry regularly, clean, clean their bedding, keep their water dishes and water bottles full. Do um, spa day. Spa day. Yes. Trim their nails, clean their ears. Uh, you gotta keep their teeth brushed. Um, and there's, you know, a certain level of, level of expense comes with that where you, you've got to make sure they get their, regular health exams, um, vaccinations, uh, you know, some of them occasionally need, uh, their teeth cleaned, uh, dentals, you know, in addition to regular brushing. Um, and you know, the, one of the, the worst things that can happen is just, you know, those, um, you know, when you get you know, the news from the doctor that, Oh, this ferret has, you know, insert medical condition here that they showed no signs of. And, you know, in the best case, they might just need to be on a medication for the rest of their lives, which is really not a big deal. It means you're going to be preparing syringes, you know, once or twice a day for, you know, a few years, you know, or as long as they can live. Um, in the worst case, it you get the news that it's a terminal condition, you know, cancer, uh, something inoperable. And, um, but there's, you know, there's the, you know, monetary expense of that. And there's the emotional toll that we've talked about uh, of taking care of them, watching them decline, knowing there's, in some cases, there's, there's nothing you can do. Um, but uh, so you have to be prepared to 
own affair. It's not just, oh, they're cute and cuddly. I want one. I'm going to keep it in a cage and, you know, take it out every now and then. They, they need daily playtime and exercise. They're very social, social creatures. Um, they, uh, I'm trying to think of how somebody I was talking to put it where they, they're always trying to kill themselves. You know, not in a mean way, but they're, they're, if you think cats are curious, ferrets are curious about everything. They want to get into everything. They want to climb things. Uh, they, some people, you know, they want to disassemble things. They want to eat things that, that they shouldn't be eating. Um, and so you, you're always kind of saving them from them, themselves. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I had to do, uh, gosh, I've had ferrets for 20 years now, um, 21 years. Um, but I, I, I learned in the first couple of years, you know, all the things that I had to do to my house to make it safe for them. Like, I, I don't want to have a, you know, a play area that's just like, oh, here's this little, you know, uh, you know, cardboard box or this little, little tiny fenced in area of a couple feet um, where they get to play. Like I want, I, I've literally ferret proof the entire first floor of my house. Uh, so when they come out to play, they can safely go anywhere on that you know floor. Um, and they're not going to find things to ingest that will kill them. Uh, they're not going to, you know, get stepped on. They're not going to climb inside of a couch and, uh, you know, get injured. They're not going to, there, there's no recliner for them to get uh, injured in. Um, you know, they, they need a, a safe environment, but a large environment for them to, to play in. Uh, I've had, I, I told a story on the, I think the first episode of this podcast about my first ferret, Buffy, uh, who was an escape artist. And, um, this kind of ties back to, you know, how smart they are. Um, but also I, I have to ferret proof. Um, she, uh, she learned how to open her cage from the inside. So she had playtime whenever she wanted playtime, uh, and so I, so I put the I put the cage inside of a fenced-in area. That didn't help much because she learned she still knew how to open the cage from the inside. But then she learned to climb on top of the cage and jump over the fence. Uh, and so uh, the so I thought I was getting smart here, and I built a roof on top of the cage, an angled roof uh, made of cardboard, uh, so that whenever she would try to climb up there, she would just slide off. And I, you know, I, I did it as kind of a quick fix to see if it, it would work as a concept. And I used uh, twist ties to, I punched holes in the cardboard and, and tied the, the cardboard roof to the top of the cage. And this little lady watched what I did. And as soon as I was done tying the roof onto the cage, she went back to the first twist tie. She grabbed it with her teeth and pulled it until it untied. And then she went to the next one and did the same thing. And the next one, the next one, the next one. She untied every single twist tie that I tied. She then walked out of the cage, climbed up the side of the cage, pushed the roof off of the cage, and jumped over the fence. <laughs> so if you don't think they're smart, she watched exactly, she knew exactly what I did, and she knew exactly, exactly how to undo it, and she undid it. So yep. they are incredibly smart. Um, but that's when I, you know, kind of realized, okay, you know, I need to give them a little more room. And so uh, I literally changed my house. Like, you know, I don't have carpeting anymore. Um, some people do, and that's fine, but you know, I, it's easier to keep the tile floor clean. Um, and it's safer, you know, if they're, I, I try to keep their nails trim, but if they start to get too long, I don't want their nails to get caught in any carpet. Um, you know, I don't have traditional furniture. I don't have a, a couch and a recliner. I have furniture, furniture that's comfortable for me to sit in and relax in, but that's also safe for the ferrets. Um, I don't have high things that they could climb and jump off of. Um, things, things that are sensitive, uh, cabling and, and, uh, smaller things that they could potentially bite are up high enough that they can't reach them. Um, and so it's, it's not just a, oh, I got a ferret 
and I'll give them some attention every now and then. I'll make sure they have food. It is you, it is life changing, but in a very positive way. Very, um, very much so. Because my first mentor, she came into the feratorium, and we were getting it ready. And I said, "Oh, well, we could bring them in here." And she goes, "No, we can't." She <laughs> says, "You have to think ferret." Yes. What's thinking ferret? Because I'm thinking human. No, you think ferret. So there were many, many things. She would come back um, a couple times a week. Oh, no, you're not thinking ferret. And, I'm, you know, you get frustrated because that's, this is what they're going to do, yeah. whether you realize it or not. But it would frustrate me because I thought I was doing so good. and. Thanks to her, every time something happens, it's, okay, think ferret. And you do. You start thinking ferret. You really do. And it can be some very non-obvious things. Uh, you know, that, uh, for example, I think we were talking earlier about placement of cages. I have a couple of ferret nation cages, and I had them close to the wall, but not right up against the wall. And I have a couple of ferrets who uh, decided they wanted to climb up to the top of the cage on the outside. By using the wall for support. And, uh, of course, once I get up there, then they're like, okay, how do I get down? And you don't want a ferret jumping from, you know, six or seven feet up. Um, so I had to move the cages closer to the wall. But then, you know, ferrets have a, a way of of pooping in inconvenient places and, and getting it to go on places like the wall, which is even easier now since it's against the wall, since the cage is against the wall. And so... Um, you know, I learned to put uh, backdrops um, on the back of the cages to protect the wall and also to, to give a little scenery to the cage to make it a little more colorful. Um, <laughs> so it protects the protects my walls and protects the ferrets from being able to climb up the outside of the cage. Um, so all sorts of things you need to do. Uh, you know, simple things, you know, even some of my furniture, you know, I have these um, acrylic tables that uh, have smooth sides, which, which works great because... They're stylish for me and fairly easy to keep clean, but they're also <laughs> slick and smooth on the side, so ferrets can't climb up to get to things like audio and video equipment that are sitting on them. Um, so if if it can be climbed, they will climb it. Uh, if it can be chewed, they will chew it. Uh, if it can be crawled into, if you know, all they need is an opening of you know an inch or two, and they will find a way inside. It. You know, I have a um, one of it was my third ferret, Zoxon. I got him when he was just a little baby, and. Uh, by this time, I thought I had ferret-proofed the first floor of my house. And so he was running around and playing, and uh, he ran into the kitchen, which was fine because, you know, there was nothing in there for them to, to, to get into, or so I thought. He climbed under my stove. Now, it wasn't on at the time. You know, I would not have any of the equipment uh, on like that when ferrets were playing. But there was a gap of maybe an inch and a half at the bottom of the, <laughs> the utility drawer on the bottom of the stove. And he climbed, he, he, he squirmed under there, and then he couldn't get back out. Um, and so I had to, you know, I, I was sort of panicking a little bit, but I was trying to think calmly and I had to, with one hand, thankfully I was you know, pretty strong. I had to lift my stove with one hand, an inch and grab him with the other hand and yep. slide him out. <laughs> Try to get him out. And then you know, my immediate next thing was, okay, to figure out how do I keep them from crawling under there? Because keeping them out of the kitchen was not really an option. Um, the, the, the doorways were wide enough. They didn't have traditional doors. Um, and I, it, pet gates really weren't, a, weren't an option because they can just climb those. 
And if they're, you know, perfectly vertical or even at an angle to prevent them from climbing them, they will work at them until they tip them over enough to be able to climb them. Uh, so I ended up with a, um, putting what is essentially like a vinyl molding, it's you might, like a baseboard you might see, uh, you know, against the wall on the bottom front drawer of my stove. Uh, it's not anything that they can chew uh, the way, and, and it's thick enough and strong enough and sturdy enough that they cannot, you know, squirm, squeal under there. Um, and it, so it protects them and it protects, you know, protects them from going under the stove. Um, and it's, you know, color, it's color matched to the stove. So it doesn't look, you know, unsightly, uh, in the room. Um, but I had to, you know, like you said, think like a ferret, um, because, uh, that was one thing that I missed and, and they, they found it, you know, and, uh, so I had to, to make adjustments. These are the things people don't understand or don't realize. I was at a Petco meet and greet many years ago and we were talking with people and and okay showing them the ferrets putting them back in the cage and a mother walks in she's got a baby in one arm a two-year-old in another on her hand and then one that was about six five or six and she walked in and the little one the little girl on her hand on her hand that by was holding her hand Oh, mommy, I really want one of no, these. No, no, And And she just looked at it, and she looked at me, and I said, Oh, did you know these guys, just so you, uh, as a mom, can understand them a little better before your decision-making? They're a combination of a puppy, a kitty, and two two-year-olds. <laughs> and she says, that's it, and she walked away. And they will stay like that. They, you know, it's, it's not like sometimes with a, with a puppy, you know, they're, they're, they have tons of energy and they want to, you know, tear apart everything when they're really small, but then, you know, they grow up, they mellow out, uh, and, uh, you, you train them to some extent. Um, ferrets can be trained to a certain extent, but they, until they're, you know, old and or very sick, they're going to be very active. They're going to be exploring and playing um and uh so they're not going to and and this is not a knock against them this is just sort of you know the reality of they are little bundles of energy and they stay that way for a very long time they are and then you tell moms about this two-year-olds you have a two-year-old you know what a two-year-old can do (laughs) and it's like nope not gonna do it um i really encourage people I say I encourage, actually I'm discouraging because um, by telling them two two-year-olds, they are, they're exactly, they have more energy than two, two, they probably have more energy than three two-year-olds at times until, like you said, they get older, but they are so much fun. Um, But what people don't realize is the responsibility and what can happen, what can be done, uh, how much it's going to cost. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I ran into people um, that would rehome or surrender their ferret to me. I didn't realize how much it was going to cost me. Yeah, you have have to be prepared. Again, you know, it can be, of course, there's, you know, regular medical exams like any animal, but you'll also have, um, for example, I forget the exact number, but some very high percentage of ferrets will develop adrenal disease. And to treat that, you can either get a monthly Lupron shot or you can get uh, generally roughly an annual uh, Desiralin implant. Um, Either way, it's going to cost you 
hundreds of dollars. Um, and if you go with the Lupron shot, that is a monthly thing. That's not a when I think of a thing. That's not a when I can get to a thing. That is an every month. You know, if you can do it on the exact same day every month, great. Or as close to that day as possible, you need to take them in to, to get a shot. And um, you have to be prepared for that responsibility. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it's not... It's not like you said. It's not just them getting in places they can't. It's costing things you can't afford. Some people, you know, that's how some people look at I can't afford that. Um, I had a gal who worked at a vet for a vet and they got a discount, but they couldn't figure out what was wrong with the, the ferret. And she was running up hundreds of dollars. She brought the ferret into me and says, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't afford this. Took it in to Dr. Carter. She figured it out and we were fine. Yeah, that that's uh, so, brings up another point, which is it's you 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 don't want to take a ferret to just any vet. You want to find an experienced, knowledgeable, exotic vet who is experienced with ferrets. Um, right. in, you know, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of ferret conditions that you know an experienced vet like Dr. Carter can look at the ferret and say, "This is what's going on," or "This is likely what's going on." Let's do a test and, and confirm it or not. Um, versus, oh, I don't know. Let's try five or six different tests and see what you know what might come out come out of that. And they can't figure it out, and then they just kind of throw their hands up in the air. And I'm not knocking other vets. It's just they don't have a lot of vets uh, have experience with dogs and cats. That's what they're trained on. Um, and, you know, I'm sure they're great at what they do, but you need to have one that has experience with ferrets. Um, they, they develop conditions that are that dogs and cats don't get. They, they you know, I don't want to say it can be difficult to treat, but are just, it's a specialized area of knowledge where they just have these things like, insulinoma like adrenal disease right. um where uh you know the ferret of course is not going to tell you this is what's wrong with me uh and sometimes you know occasionally with like adrenal uh, you can look at them and say the ferret this ferret might be adrenal it could be by their you know orange tint of their coloring the loss of fur on the tail uh, maybe aggressiveness some of those symptoms um and so you know the vet might be able to have a guess just based on appearance but they will know which tests to run to confirm that diagnosis. Yes. And the other thing to go along with that is before you go into the vet, when you call them and ask that you are interested in making an appointment, find out how many ferrets they see in a month. Yes. <laughs> oh, we them. haven't seen a ferret here in a couple of years. Right. Well, hmm. and that's happened before. They didn't ask. And they said, you know, we heard that and we should have asked and we didn't. Um, they ended up the ferret died because they didn't know what to do. And, and you know, some things you know, in that same vein, uh, uh, I had a, a vet once who, uh, who wasn't a ferret vet, but it was a specialist helping my ferret vet um, with a very specific, specific case. And they prescribed, um, I can't remember the exact medication, but uh, it was antibiotic. And they gave the dosage in, they gave a dosage that would have been okay for a dog. Not for a ferret. Thankfully, I said, you know, thank you, but I'm going to run this by my ferret vet, who looked at this and said, no, 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 no. <laughs> this will kill the ferret. Uh, let's get you the right dosage. Um, and uh, so, again, you know, it's not that I distrust the vets, but it's just a, a ferret vet knows ferrets. And, you know, they know, again, not just, you know, what to look for, you know, and what to test for, but also what medications make sense in what dosages. 
right? Um, because it might be the right medication, but if you give them a dose that's for a dog, that could kill the ferret. Um, so can't stress that enough to finding a, a vet you trust who knows ferrets, who has hands-on right. experience with ferrets. It's incredibly important. Very, very important. Um, I had some um, ferrets that I'm glad we had the, I had one uh, Dr. Brazeau up in Covington and I had Dr. Johnson Delaney, you know, of course, Mm -hmm. and then Dr. Carter. And I feel so blessed because there, I've had so many that have gone through so much um, and they're willing to teach me. Now, again, I'm a shelter sanctuary, um, mostly sanctuary now, but in them teaching me, I've been able to help um, not just mine, but I've had a couple of the vets calling me and saying, I'm sending you so-and-so, will you do the all the... Um, check their gums, you know, do all this and let's have their heart rate and their blood sugar and everything. And so I, I get to help, um, them and I, it isn't, I'm not a vet. I do all this extra stuff that she does right at the beginning. And I call her back. I give her the report and then she tells me what to do. Or she tells me to wait until tomorrow, you know, and bring them up. Right. Um, And and I feel very blessed because I have helped uh, quite a few. Um, I've also had her tell me to give them medicine and the medicine knocked them out. Well, I didn't know that's what it would do. And I thought I killed the ferret. I was dying inside. So I talked to her and I said, you know what? All three were ladies, by the way, and I won't say which one, but um, I said, you know what? I said, you need to tell me what the medicine will do because I have, I went through grieving because I thought I had Uh, killed a ferret and oh, no, no, no. It just makes, knocks them out. And right now we need to have that so their heart does better. Right. Yeah, I, I can know, imagine that would be. And oh, I just oh, yeah. oh, it was awful. Um, so after that, we um, no problem. Let me know what the medicine was, and um, I do not give out medicine, by the way, mm-hmm. to anybody or to do anything. I will regulate it according to what she tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm so, I'm thankful that the the doctor showed me. Um, Many things, uh, some, some of them, you know, like I said, helps, helps me help her. Um, exactly. For, for example, this is something that, that uh, every ferret owner, in my opinion, should do, which is keep a log of your ferret's weight. Check their weight every week or every other week um, because their weight can go up and down by season and that can be normal. But if they're sick, their weight might drop. And if you go to your doctor and you say, I think they've lost weight. And you can't, you know, have they lost five grams? Have they lost a hundred grams? Do they normally lose that weight, uh, amount of weight at this time of year? Or is that, you know, you know, a sudden change? Again, we're not looking for the the person to diagnose their ferret, but if you're able to say, 
oh, well, in the summer, yes, they usually lose 50 grams, but they've lost 150 this year. Maybe there's a problem. And, uh, you know, the, the doctor has, you know, given me instructions for like, okay, you know what hairball protocol is, you know, you give them Vaseline, you give them sucrophate or carophate, you give them pepsid, but not all at the same time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you yes. can you know, give them gas drops uh, and you know, the dosages are, are pretty standard for most of those. I think the sucrophate is the one that's based on weight. Um, but I, I keep those on hand and I can do those first. You know, if, if I see if, you know, ferrets weight fluctuate a little, a little too much, you know, I can, I can start with that. Especially if there's no other symptoms. Now, of course, if the ferret is incredibly lethargic or if they're, uh, have, they have weird looking poops or if they're just acting strangely, you want to schedule an appointment with your vet as soon as possible. Ask for an emergency appointment if you, if, if the ferret is that bad off. But if it's just, oh, their weight's dropped a little more than normal. Well, let's start with, especially if it's, you know, a change of season, let's start with the herbal protocol. Give them a day or two, see if they, if they perk up, if things improve. If not, you can then go to your vet and say, okay, their weight has dropped. I have done this, this, and this, and I'm not seeing an improvement. Can I get an appointment or do you have more, you know, further advice on what to do? And, uh, you know, go from there. I've met a couple of people that actually have uh, a folder and each ferret has on certain days, if something happens, it's on there. When they see the vet, wow, losing weight. Um, they even learned how to listen to the heart ah. and they don't um because i even have trouble uh determining sometimes what's going on but they'll say oh it was going so fast they write that down and when they take them in she knows she's got she's got it right in front of her mm -hmm. and yeah. it take that takes up a lot of time when she has to go through all that and that helps her determine where to start looking. Right. What the problem is. And, and you build up that history. So, you know, right. is this a common thing for the ferret? Is this, you know, very rare? Right. You know, has this happened at the same time each year? Has this happened in response to other external stimuli? You know, like when they had a particularly exciting playtime or maybe somebody new was introduced to the household and, they, you know, maybe they got picked on a little bit or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying those are necessarily the causes, but they could contribute. And, and you at least know, um, you, you have more, the more information you have for your, your vet, the, the better the vet can help you. Because um, right. they're, they're maybe not guessing, you know, not that they're guessing anyway, but they don't have to sort of, you know, check for a whole bunch of things. Maybe they can, they can start by narrowing it down and say, well, it might be this or this instead of these six different things. Right. It might be one of these two things. And don't. Don't please. I see so many on Facebook. My ferret's doing this. Should I take him into the vet? Vet first. You get, it, call your vet don't, first. Don't get a hold of ferret of Facebook. Yeah. Get a hold of your vet. Yep. Yeah. Don't don't even think about Facebook because yeah. there are so many wonderful people that can help and that are do a wonderful job and they're shelter moms so they know a lot but, but they they're not there they can't right. see what's going on with the ferret and they, they don't know your ferret and your right. ferret's history now there's always exceptions to that there might be a case where okay you've posted about a ferret they've seen the vet or they're about to see the vet and you have very specific things and you've already gotten the very specific instructions from the vet on what to do and maybe you just want to ask you know a question like has anyone had an experience with this? What can I expect? You know, my ferret has been diagnosed with this condition. 
what are the, some of the things that people have experienced with this? But yes, I totally agree. Don't, you don't go on the internet looking for, you know, please be my vet random person. Um, because random person, 99% of the time is not going to actually be a vet. Um, <laughs> and their experience with their ferret is going to be different than your experience with your ferret. Um, so yes, I completely agree. Can't stress that enough. Um, vet first, call your vet, schedule an appointment. If it is, you know, if it is a big concern, like if your ferret is having some horrible symptoms right now, you know, ask for an emergency appointment. Most vets, in my experience, will work you in. You know, it might be a little less convenient where you have to, you know, there have been days where, you know, I've had an emergency. I've had to drop somebody off before work and pick them up after work instead of, you know, versus taking them and waiting, you know, there in the waiting room or in the parking lot uh, for an hour while they diagnose them. Um, but the important thing is to get the medical care for your ferret from a qualified professional. Exactly. There's only so and much see, you can do. I, I am not what I would consider I mean, a qualified professional. I do according to what the professional tells me to do. Yeah. So just so people understand, no, I'm not a vet. And I only do things according to what, and I keep pointing over here, but my phone, um, to what the vet tells me to do. Um, and that helps people, but it also, like you said, helps her. Some of that's already done. Okay. Now we have to look at other areas and see, and sometimes it doesn't, if you have all that information, it won't take you as long to get in and out of the vet. Right. <laughs> Sophos. <laughs> Not just her, but you. Okay. We're going to pause there for this episode. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation with Denise Cummings in episode seven of Talking Tales. I do want to add two notes. First, early in the conversation, I mentioned that at the time my ferret Peter was facing a health challenge, that he was my only male ferret. While he was my only male ferret for a period of time, at that particular time, I had another very special male ferret named Milo. I mentioned that same Milo separately and noted that he was about to turn nine years old at the time of this recording. He did in fact make it to his ninth birthday on August 1st, 2022, but his health declined rapidly two days later, and three days after his birthday, I had to say goodbye to him. He was my first ferret ever to make it to that milestone, and he was my little superhero. Rest in peace, Milo. If you'd like to share a story about a special pet, visit us at TalkinTalesPodcast.com or reach out to us on Twitter at TalkinTales. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-T-A-I-L-S or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TalkinTales. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash TalkinTales. No matter what podcast app you choose, please take a moment to rate and review us. It helps us find new listeners, which means we can bring you even more stories. 